Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Hamilton City Council meeting last night was a tense one. One councillor said that a group of counter-protesters gave oxygen to the 6 to 12 morons which were causing the problem. Well, that debate resulted in a very upset public and some people getting kicked out of the meeting. Also, Aberdeen Street's finally going to be turned into a two-lane street, but not till October. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. I want to get right in to a city council's meeting from last night. Uh, last night was a pretty tense meeting, quite frankly. I'm sure many of you have seen the video. You certainly heard the audio here on CHML over the course of the morning. Uh, one councillor saying that a group of counter-protesters gave oxygen to the, and I'm quoting here, 6 to 12 morons, which resulted in, uh, well, the viewing that we saw, of course, the videos that happened in Gage Park during the Pride ceremonies. Uh, at one point, people had to be uh, booted out of, of the council chambers. Uh, because of their interactions, shall we say, with uh, a certain member of council, a couple of members of council. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger joins us on the program. Uh, we're going to get a few perspectives on this over the next little while. Uh, Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Yeah, good morning, Bill. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about last night. I think, I think an awful lot of people were watching last night, if they couldn't have attended uh, at City Hall, uh, hoping that there was going to be some resolution uh, to some of the issues and some of the concerns that have been raised over the last week. Uh, I'm not so sure if that happened. I'm not so sure if things got worse last night with the activity that heard uh, was it occurred rather. Well, I mean, I think things uh, things have improved. I think we're uh, moving in a direction that uh, everyone should be uh, should be comfortable with, which is to uh, try and uh, you know stamp out and uh, prevent these uh, hate mongers from getting access to uh, to city hall. So, I think that's a positive step. We're going to look at the uh, security cameras. Uh, I, in my uh, statement uh, a day and a half ago, said that uh, I'm going to be meeting with, uh, you know, the leaders of the communities that are targets of hate, uh, as well as with the uh, LBGTQ uh, queer trans uh, community separately as well, to kind of talk about a conversation about uh, where, where are we going, what do we need to do, how do we uh, collect collectively, uh, you know, fight against this uh, these hate mongers that are out there stirring the pot. So I'm, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I think we've uh, we're making progress. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think it's at all helpful that we're, you know, pointing fingers at one another. What we ought to be doing is coming together and finding a way forward that uh, that really, you know, tackles the issues that uh, that we need to tackle, which is this rise of uh, populism, this rise of uh, discontent, uh, folks that are prepared to act out uh, violently. Uh, on their thoughts and ideas, and we need to, we need to stand against that. And so uh, I'm hoping that that's the uh, that's where we're going to go. In your opinion, Mr. Mayor, how did things spin out of control? Because clearly they seem to have. And, and last night's uh, let me put it this way: the actions that we saw at council last night, I think, are pretty indicative of that. Yeah, well, things are heated at the moment, so uh, I understand that. And if I if I'm uh, gay, queer, trans, uh, uh, you know, in part of that community. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm fearful right now, and I I completely understand that. Uh, you know, this is, these are these are uh, you know very vile things that are being said. Uh, you know, if, if someone's kind of poking at your your lifestyle or your your uh, your chosen path, uh, that is uh, that is hurtful. And uh, and you know, for those that are thinking about coming out because they're uh, potentially gay, queer, or trans, uh, you know, you would worry a little bit. But you know, at the same time, we we have to put this into perspective. These are six to eight people that are causing this level of mayhem, and they must be delighted right now, the, the kind of mayhem that they've been able to create. And so, uh, you know, last night, uh, you know, Councilman Rula said some things that uh, some in the community didn't want to hear. Uh, he's, he expressed an opinion that, uh, you know, might be on the mind of many people. 
Uh, and the reality is that we need to be able to listen to one another to, uh, to kind of get through this issue. So trying to shout, uh, shout someone down and trying to, uh, you know, notwithstanding how heated it is, isn't, uh, isn't going to be helpful. We need to come together, we need to have dialogue, and we need to stand against the, the, the common uh, agitators that uh, are, are, are raising these issues and, uh, and causing this level of mayhem and hate and violence. The uh, and, and we can get into some general discussions here. I, I, city council meetings are public meetings, and you're absolutely right. There is Everybody has a right to their opinion and to express that opinion uh, in the proper way and in the proper form. Uh, things certainly got out of hand last night. Uh, and, and I know you feel this way because we've talked about this when this has happened in council before. Uh, nobody solves anything when there's yelling and screaming and, 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 and foul language that's thrown back and forth between members. And we saw that last night. Uh, but, you know, the old idea that it takes two to tangle, I mean, a lot of people, I'm sure you've seen on social media, Mr. Mayor, uh, are disappointed uh, with the conduct of some people on council last night as well. Well, and, and you know, that, that they're entitled to have that, uh, that view. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if I'm, uh, again, part of the queer trans community and, and, and things are heated at the moment and there's a lot of emotion behind all of this and they're, they're feeling attacked, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're likely to lash out as well. And I think, uh, you know that's not not something that we want to promote and encourage. We want to we want to actually give people the opportunity to have a voice and to uh, to do it in a uh, calm and respectful way. Uh, just everyone shouting at one another doesn't accomplish a darn thing. Nobody gets heard. Uh, no 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 opinions get expressed that uh, that actually uh, you know resonate with people. It's just a lot of noise that uh, that doesn't really help the cause. And this is why I'm I'm hoping that we bring people together, have a conversation with police. Uh, you know, we need our police to be part of this dialogue. We need not be accusing our police of uh, of trying to do anything other than protecting, uh, you know, everyone, property and people. And uh, let's come together and talk about what more we need to do. Uh, you know, many of us are not the cause of all of these issues, but we certainly need to deal with them. And uh, and there's a collective responsibility. All of us need to come together. It's You know, if we, if we end up fighting with one another, then we're not going to get anywhere. You know, one of the things that, that concerns me about this, having watched the meeting last night, is, uh, and you just referred to it, I think, in the beginning of our conversation, uh, the motion that was passed about dealing with uh, the, the, the displays that are going on in front of City Hall every day, and, and frankly, frankly, the actions of some of those people, uh, the motion that you crafted and passed last night, I think, has an awful lot of merit and may well be uh, the best way to address one of those concerns, which is a major concern community-wide here. But that story got buried, uh, to use the, the media lexicon here, by the conduct of the people in the council chambers last night. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, and you know, and, uh, and it was a positive step. They we're all struggling to, uh, to deal with these issues. Uh, they're not easy issues to deal with. Uh, we're not the only ones that are dealing with this. Uh, this is happening, uh, you know, Canada-wide. Uh, Toronto has the, the very same, uh, same challenges. And, in fact, about some of the very same people, the, the individual that got arrested yesterday was the same person that, uh, you know, was causing mayhem in Hamilton and then went to Toronto and did exactly the same thing. I uh, got arrested. And so, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we, uh, you know, we need to be vigilant in, in this process. We need to be working together on this process. Uh, and, uh, and the motion that was passed was an attempt to use the courts to, uh, to create an injunction that would prevent some of these individuals from getting access to our city hall. Can we uh, monitor and control where people go in all instances and in all locations? No, we can't. Uh, but you know what? I, 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 I rely on our police to, uh, to continue to monitor 
uh, and uh, and uh, get the intelligence to, to try try and tamp this down. They, they you know they have dedicated police officers doing this each and every day, monitoring these hate groups, uh, tracking their uh, their activities, ensuring that they're not uh, if they've been charged, if they're not uh, you know breaking their parole and uh, and making the appropriate uh, charges uh, uh, or appropriate arrests when they do. And so, uh, you know, four arrests have been made here. Three of them were uh, were were parolees or parole on parole based on their their activities on uh, on Lock Street, anarchists that actually terrorized that street. Uh, you don't uh, you don't get to hide behind uh, you know being gay, queer, or or trans or anything else if you've uh, if you've breached parole. Then uh, you ought to be charged and uh, and brought back into the uh, parole system. And uh, those individuals, the investigation is ongoing. I know it is. And uh, others that uh, can be identified uh, will also be charged. How soon, Mr. Mayor, can you get everybody at the table? Clearly, that's your stated goal here. You want people from that community. Uh, obviously, police services have to be involved in this. Uh, this yeah. is going to take some coordination, but I would think that time is of the essence here. Absolutely, it is. And uh, we, uh, we are looking at uh, dates for next week. Uh, you know, the, the sooner the better that uh, we can sit down and have a have a conversation about what police are doing and uh, you know some understanding of uh, what they're doing and why they're doing it the way they are and uh, and then you know have a conversation about what uh, other people think in terms of uh, the responses they're seeing and what more can we do collectively to stand against this i can tell you that uh, we have had uh, many programs that are currently in place that advocate for hamilton for all diversity and inclusion is part of our uh, ongoing work as a city as a corporate entity we work with uh, many many partners in our community to uh, advance uh, you know uh, immigration and uh, and uh, a tolerance not only tolerance inclusion of uh, people that come here from other places we have a hamilton immigration partnership council that continues to work to embrace uh, immigration and to uh, stamp out uh, discrimination in, in many different levels. I mean, there's much going on to, to, to fight and uh, work against this. But, uh, you know, when you have a handful of six or eight people uh, that are determined to uh, cause mayhem, uh, this is the end result. Uh, this is what can happen uh, if, if that occurs, and, uh, and we, have to, uh, we have to stand against it. You know, interestingly enough, uh, you know, when it comes to putting in the appropriate protections, I was at the Kitchener-Waterloo uh, uh, opening of their uh, their LRT and uh, the level of security that they they now feel and and I think believe we need to have for these kinds of major events when there are a lot of people gathering was enormous. Uh, they had to have complete barriers and buses blocking entrance routes uh, to guard against any kind of an attack that uh, we've seen in the past on these large kinds of events when you've had dump trucks running through crowds or buses or vehicles. Uh, today we live in a world where that kind of level of security is required. And I would say that uh, my advice to the police would be that uh, heretofore, uh, if you believe security is required at a certain event, then you provide it. Uh, and it doesn't really matter what anyone else says. If it's required, it should be delivered. Uh, and that's, uh, that's an important issue, I think, that we need to accept, uh, unfortunately, because we live in a dangerous world today. Well, I'm sure this is going to be one of the topics on the agenda for the next Police Services Board meeting, too, and we'll certainly be talking to you about that as uh, that date approaches. Mr. Mayor, thanks so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure.
Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Uh, if you missed it last night uh, and you haven't seen anything on social media, uh, as we've said it right off the top, things got a little crazy last night during the council meeting. To I have a lot more to say. In the audience, this is democracy at work. Unfortunately, vacate. some people don't like democracy. Sam, you need to you need to stop. As Obviously, well. they don't. Obviously, they don't. Need to stop. So the section seven. Some members of the crowd obviously were uh, booted out. Uh, the councillor uh, continued, as uh, you had just heard, and uh, things got a little bit crazy. Uh, Ward 3 Councillor Narinda Nan, of course, was in attendance last night, and she's been very vocal about what council needs to be doing as uh, they go forward on this. Councillor, thanks so much for the time for coming in today. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. First of all, your, give me your reaction to what you saw and what you heard last night. I think fundamentally what I saw last night was a very concerned group of residents who have been asking for action against hate-based organizing that's been growing in our city since, uh, I think, emboldened since the presidential election in the United States in November 2016, that continues to grow and mutate and cause serious concern for people's safety. Um, feeling very, very passionate and very frustrated and disappointed with the lack of progress. And on the issue and uh, and demanding more, rightfully so. These are these are people who feel very very vulnerable in our city, and I think it's important for us to be sensitive to their experiences in order for us to build the trust that's needed to work forward together. What they have said, and the representatives I've talked to since the incident occurred in Gage Park, anyway, uh, is a, is a basically a cry for leadership, saying, "Look at the people who are the leaders in this community have to be the leaders. They have to come forward and, and show that ability." Did did we see that last night? I think we absolutely did um, in terms of the uh, motion that I was able to work with Councillor Clark on in terms of the injunction and saying, you know, let's figure out what is possible right away while our staff continue doing their work to put together a hate mitigation plan for the city. And um, while the Hamilton Police Services continue their work around hate crime investigation as well. Listen, like we all know this issue and growing. It's not just a Hamilton issue, it's not just a Canada issue, it's a worldwide phenomenon right now where we've got a rise of white nationalism and populism that is terrorist in communities. CSIS just yesterday added two extreme alt-right uh, organizations to their terrorist watch group, uh, watch list, and I think that's a signal of how serious this, this issue is and how dangerous um, things have gotten. Things are. Everybody wants discussion. Everybody says there has to be better communication. There has to be better dialogue. And I think they're bang on. That's that's absolutely right. But we've got to get people to dial it down just a little bit because right now it doesn't look like anybody's ready to communicate and talk right now. There's too much anger. Absolutely, and I think our community needs uh, an opportunity for healing. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who feel uh, painful, pained right now, who've been harmed, whose friends were harmed. Um, and that's just in terms of the current incident that happened uh, in Pride. Then there's the ongoing kind of level of threat that our racialized community, our Muslim and Jewish communities and other folks who are targets of this type of activity are feeling. Like This does bring back uh, powerful feelings for a lot of people. And I think the one thing that we haven't figured out how to do well as a city, uh, as a government, is how do we actually put in place uh, mechanisms and processes and conversations that promote healing? That's part of the support work that we have to provide. And if it's not us, then we need to figure out who we need to partner with in order to support that work to happen, in order to get parties at the table to have a conversation. If folks haven't had the opportunity to have uh, uh, justice 
then they're not going to feel like they're having an opportunity to get into the healing realm in order to engage in a fruitful conversation that can focus on the future. That said, there are other people in the community who are leaders who provide that kind of buffer zone between, you know, folks who might have been uh, harmed in the activities of the hate-based groups and the extremists and uh, able to kind of uh, be a spokesperson for those organizations, for those individuals. So I think we have to go about this in a multi-pronged approach. Um, yes, urgency, but also let's do this the right way. We know that we haven't gotten it right in the past, and this is an opportunity for us to explore new ways and to take guidance from the community who's been harmed. Warthrow Councillor Narinda Nan. Uh, Narinda, thank you so much for the time today. Uh, as I say, the sooner we can get everybody at the table and start talking, the sooner we can hopefully start going in the right road again. I, I, I agree with you totally. I think there has been a communication breakdown here, and that's that's not the, the sole cause of what's gone on here, but it certainly is a contributing factor. Absolutely. And, you know, with us not focusing on the one issue here, which is hate-based activity, and getting it convoluted with a bunch of other, um, you know, analysis, is, there's, no, there's no two sides to this story. This is a very simple perspective if you're willing to accept that this what we need to focus on right now is the growing presence of hate organizations that are affiliating themselves with paramilitary organizations and individuals uh, who have been trained in paramilitary style tactics and that is that is of concern and if we can't get to the heart of the issue then we're going to continue breaking down the trust but i'm really looking forward to the next few weeks um, and ongoing months and years of dialogue on figuring out how to really make sure that our city is a place where everybody feels welcome and that everybody can thrive and has a place to uh, to contribute. Narinda, thanks again for the time. I know we'll stay in touch on this. My pleasure. Take care, Bill. That's uh, Ward 3 Councilor Narinda Nan. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, thanks to uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger and Councillor Narinda Nan for uh, jumping in with us uh, in the first segment here. But uh, we want to spend a little more time about what happened last night at Council Chambers and uh, some, well, rationale about maybe what we can do going forward on this. And again, if you did not see it, if you did not hear the clips that we've been playing on uh, CHML through the course of the morning here, uh, I was going to say this is one of the highlights. No, it's one of the lowlights of what happened last night. I have a lot more to say. In the audience, this is democracy at work. Unfortunately, some people don't like democracy. Sam, you need to you need to stop. As Obviously, well. they don't. Obviously, they don't. You need to stop. So the section seven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was the uh, beginning of uh, the end for the uh, the meeting. It had to be well, not adjourned, but they had to shut it down for a while. People were evicted from the council chambers. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, Council Marula kept talking, uh, the mayor trying to get some order there, which was, uh, I guess, next to impossible at that moment. Uh, Graham Crawford, our uh, good friend from History and Heritage and uh, Hamilton Citizen of the Year, as a matter of fact, uh, was there last night. Uh, thanks for coming in today. Um, your impressions of what you saw, what you heard? Well, Bill, it was it was just disgusting, and it was depressing. Uh I could hardly bear. I was I was shaking with anger, to be honest, Bill, at one point. Uh, but I was there. I did see it unfold. I saw what happened before this thing blew up, and I saw it as it blew up and as well as the aftermath. Well, give me, give me the quick play-by-play then, because for those that had maybe could not see the meeting or yeah. couldn't attend last night, uh, we've heard the clips, of course, and, and I'm sure many right. of us have seen the video because uh, it's pretty much gone viral now on social media. What precipitated this? I mean, obvious, the obvious things about the, the hate groups and the discussion. We knew that was going to happen. But the, it, obviously things blew up. Well, first, some context that isn't, yeah. isn't clear in the video. 
but I was there. And I watched as Counselor Brad Clark read his very poignant and heartfelt statement. It is extremely well written, and it does come from the heart. You can tell. It's the kind of statement that Fred Eisenberger should have released 10 days ago, but he didn't. And as Brad Clark was reading that statement, talking about how kids were being hurt and how parents, what would you do if it was your child? I was sitting across from Sam Marula and Chad Collins, who throughout Brad Clark's entire statement were laughing, not listening, talking, and showing cell phone posts. So I was so angry at what I saw happening at this moment when we're trying to deal with the hurt and the pain that I shouted out, which I don't do very often, Sam, please listen. That's all I said. And what did the good counselor do? He kept talking and kept laughing as if to say, I'm not listening to you. I'm certainly not listening to my counselor colleague. And the mayor gave me a dirty look. And that was the end of that. And then when uh, Counselor Marula was able to, to speak, he inflamed the situation, Bill. He knows he inflamed the situation. It was his intent, in my opinion, as a witness who was there. Now, he may say, no, no, that's not what I meant to do. But, Bill, I'm a student of body language. Uh, and I'm telling you, that's what was going down. And they responded and they reacted. Now, oh. I, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and try to defend. I think you know how I feel about this issue. You yeah. know that I'm, I'm trying to seek the truth here. And I sat in that council chamber for almost 10 years, and I've seen some pretty raucous evenings on mm -hmm. some pretty touchy subjects. Uh, but you're not going to accomplish anything. I don't care how wronged you have been, and these people have been wronged for sure. But if you're going to yell things out and, and yell profanities out during a meeting like this, you're not making the situation any better. You're making it worse. And and I, I wasn't pleased with the council conduct of some of the counselors. I was certainly not pleased with the reaction of some of the people in the gallery either. So from that standpoint, uh, for a, a time where we needed healing, we weren't getting it last night. Yeah, but Bill, how do you, when healing is the goal of council and they demonstrate it, people will remain quiet and try to work together. But in the face of disdain on the part of counselors, laughing and joking during poignant statements by well-meaning counselors, at some point you have to take a stand. I chose to take a stand. Yeah. I chose to yell. I didn't use a profanity, but I could have been thrown out for saying, Sam, please listen, because I felt it was appropriate because the mayor wasn't doing anything. I also sat and watched more than half of counsel not say one single word in support of our community, of these kids, of, of seniors uh, in the LGBTQ plus community who are being beaten and yelled at and kicked in the face in some cases, they said nothing. And you know when they got passionate, Bill? When the Aberdeen traffic calming topic came up. I know you're going to talk about that later yeah, in the yeah. show. They were That was quite heated, but they said nothing. So in the face that of was the leadership... That was not lost on me yesterday as, as I was watching what was going on. Uh, because I've seen, and you have seen over the years, uh, when there's a topic that they think they want to be quoted on, uh, they go right around the table. Yeah. Everybody's got to put their two cents in, sometimes two or three times, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, as was the case uh, just, last uh, And that's it. But I was, I was surprised, not pleasantly, uh, that so few people actually spoke out about this issue. Well, I mean, the ones who this, did... This was a chance for them to say, look at you know, I know some people in the community think we're sitting here doing nothing. We're not. We do care. Only two or three of them. Only a handful of them actually a did. A handful, yes. Brad Clark, uh, Vanderbeek, Wilson, Non, 
uh, Danko. Uh, Terry Whitehead did say a few things, but I, you know, it's, it was not quite as clear and crisp as we might have wanted. But the point is, he did comment, so I'll give him that. But the others remained silent. Uh, and sorry, and and Tom Jackson. I need to be for Tom Jackson. The others didn't say a single word. This is the time, if you want healing, and if you're going to push back on these people who got angry and shouted and say, we need, this is a time for healing, then you need to demonstrate that. You're our elected leaders. It's not up to these kids in the audience who are under attack to control their emotions when they see you not caring. So council wears this, in my opinion. And Bill, I, I, I understand why people get angry and you know maybe profanities are not appropriate. But in the face of this kind of hostility and this disdain by, by some councillors and silence by others, it's sometimes hard to control your emotions. You just don't know what else to do. And in the face of the police chief still not apologizing for suggesting they would have moved faster if they'd been more welcomed. Silence on his part, too. Uh, it all it, it compounds itself, Bill, and people need to understand it's hard for people to tolerate that when they're living this every day. Well, the, and I, I think you and I used that phrase when you were here a couple of days ago. Uh, you know, if you're not walking in their shoes, you, you can't say that you'll totally understand what's going on here. That's right. And I, I, th- that's empathy. That's what we're looking for here. Bill, it is the word, and I, and I want to use your word you just used again, empathy. Because if you didn't see it at council, and I assure you, for more than half of council, you did not see empathy from half of council last night. And then the conversation gets inflamed by Councillor Marula, uh, who basically was attacking those who defended people and those who actually were were injured by this helmet guy that they arrested the other day. Um, Marula was Who's being arraigned right now, by the way, downtown. Yeah. Marula was was uh, blaming those people who were defending uh, members of the LGBT commu- community, and many of them, of course, are members of the LGBTQ plus community. How could that possibly help? And he not only that, but he used his nine and a half minute monologue. So no five minute uh, control on this. The mayor lost control of the meeting from the get go. He did a very poor job. He left Marula's mic on during the fight. He could have shut it down, but he didn't. And so, you, you know, these details matter. And we can't blame these kids in the audience. And sure, okay, maybe we, you and I can both agree, let's not do profanity in council chambers. But let's not, that is not the problem. The problem is what happened in the horseshoe, not those of us who were watching the horseshoe. And let me be really clear about that. And they need to look at themselves, they counsel and mayor, in the face, in the mirror, and say, what did I do yesterday to help? And as you said, Bill, a handful of them did. And they should be very proud of what they did and what they said. And the others should be ashamed of themselves. The, uh, there's another chapter yet to come in this, and that, of course, will be the, uh, the next meeting of the uh, Police Services Board. Uh, and I found it rather instructive, and I had my conversation with the mayor just a few minutes ago here on the program, uh, where he went into this situation about proper security for proper uh, events. And, and he referenced some of the terrible things that we've seen in other parts of the world, in Nice, France, et cetera, et cetera, and, and, and how, as a result, uh, what police and authorities have done is say, we'll go and take extra precautions, blocking off streets so we don't get that sort of behavior like with runaway trucks and things of this nature. And, and I know I got the sense from what he was saying that uh, he's going to have to address the police about this too. Did they take appropriate measures at Gage Park that day? Uh, with the compliment they had, 
I, there's an argument to be made that they acted as quickly as they could with the people that were there, but were there enough people deployed? And I think that's got to be something that has to be addressed by police services at this stage. I, I agree, and yet it's silence from, from the police. I, on the other hand, Bill, I, what I heard Fred say was a dog whistle, in my opinion. He was saying even if the LGBTQ community doesn't want uniform police presence in their midst, uh, too bad, we're going to do it anyway. Uh, I'll re-listen to the tape, but that's what I heard when he said it just 30 minutes ago. Um, it's, you know, Bill, this is a crisis in our city. And those counselors who were silent, if you don't think there are members of the LGBTQ plus community, community living in your ward, you are sadly mistaken. If you think this is an urban issue, a downtown issue, you're wrong. You're just wrong. But there's also all the goodwill in this community, people who are not members of that community, of the LGBTQ plus community, but who are supporters, who are allies, who are feeling the pain and seeing these kids in trouble. I also want to point out one other thing, Bill, in terms of Sam inflaming this. Sam Marula last night made a point twice of saying that some people in this community who are running for political office are, quote, stirring the pot. Now, the two people he's thinking of, in my opinion, he didn't name them, but I'll try, uh, Cameron Kretsch, who you know well, mm -hmm. and Matthew Green, who you also know well, both of whom are members of an oppressed minority. So I don't know if we don't stir the pot ourselves in defense of our own community and our own people, who would? Certainly not Sam Marula, apparently. Well, I... I, I heard that comment as well, and I just put that down to an a, a, a unwarranted political you know, shot at, at people that uh, obviously he has some disagreement or some dislike for. I don't know. But, but Bill, we weren't it, it talking had no about place. traffic. It had, it had no place in the discussion. We weren't talking about traffic. We were talking about pain and suffering of members of our community, and yet Marula decides it's a good time to talk about that. His judgment is flawed. There is a problem here, and he needs to give it, to offer an apology to our community for his behavior. And if he wants one coming back, he should ask for one. But I'm telling you, I, I certainly was disgusted with what I saw him do. And he was, he was smiling. He, he had a great time. He got exactly what he wanted out of this. Here's where we are now, the morning after. Uh, and as I said at the beginning of this segment, uh, what we were looking for last night was some indication and direction into how we can start to heal as a community. Right. The motion that, that Councillor Clark and Councillor Nan brought forward uh, I think it was a very good first step. I agree. But that seems to be countered on the other side of the ledger with, uh, well, what some people would consider throwing salt in the wounds that already existed by some of the actions and some of the things that were said last night. Uh, does that make it more difficult to move forward here? Well, what makes it difficult to move forward is behavior. And uh, it, it, does, it, it doesn't serve the community or this healing process to have the mayor uh, say really positive things about the cops in the literally in the heat of the moment last night, which he did, and so did so did uh, Councillor Ferguson. Our cops are tops, basically, and like whether you believe that or not, is this the time to be rubbing people's noses in that? Given the silence from Chief Gert, I don't think so. So if you want to heal, you have to watch your words, and maybe it, you know there is an appropriate time to say, look. We need to, to cooperate and trust our police better, but now is not the time to say that because their behavior suggests people should be afraid and should be worried. Sam Marula accused those who were supporting and defending people at, at Gay Pride of wearing uniforms. They were all dressed in black and they all had pink scarfs around their faces. 
as if that was a problem, as if we should be ashamed because we did something wrong. Sam is so out of touch that he doesn't understand social media as much as he thinks he's a master of it. These kids are worried about having their photographs taken and retribution taken by the right-wing people who will track them down where they live. It's, this is not fantasy. This is real. So they cover their faces and they, they coordinate, they get together. Bill, I was a marshal in, in many demonstrations back in the day in Toronto. We wore, quote, a uniform. Back then, we didn't have to cover our faces because people couldn't take pictures. It was hard, much harder mm -hmm. to take pictures and video. Why did we do it? So we could identify ourselves and so others could see who the marshals were. It's not unusual. But so I don't know why Sam thinks that there's something nefarious about people getting together and organizing and saying, well, let's, let's be marshals. Let's try to help and defend and we'll all wear the same thing. But he seems to think that's just as bad as a helmet guy who shows up and starts smashing people's faces with a metal motorcycle helmet. Well, as, as John Beston and I talked about the other day, John from the Bay Observer, uh, this was not a spontaneous situation. I mean, they knew that the Pride celebration was going to be there. I mean, everybody in, in the town knew that. Uh, and and those people, obviously, the ones that were wearing pink, uh, did not just show up. They, they planned to be there. <clears throat> yeah. But there would have been no confrontation had the other group not shown up. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's what caused it. I mean, it's well, somebody, somebody threw the first punch. Somebody incited yeah. the, the situation. Uh, I, my, I'm going to surmise at this stage that had that group not shown up and tried to, and why were they there? Which, you know, which group? Uh, the, 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 the far right wingers, yeah, the ones yeah, yeah. placard carrying. Oh, indeed. Yeah, with the, the, anti, the homophobic signs, et cetera. Uh, there would have been no confrontation. Because you know who else knew they were going to be there? The police. Mm -hmm. And they knew exactly where they were going to be because it was pointed out to the police on a map prior to the Pride. This was not the first time this has happened. It happened last year. So the police knew as well, but they did nothing. And their excuse is, you told us you didn't want us there. I see, so, so you shouldn't prepare. And Chief Gert said to your face on this show, hey, it's an 85-acre park. How could we know where they were going to be? Because you were told and shown, and you still did nothing. Yeah, Cameron uh, Croce, when he was on the program, told me that it was the day before that. He said, I hung up the phone after that discussion, quite confident that I had explained exactly what was going to happen, where it was going to happen. Well, no, Bill, it was, it's more than just verbal. But, but that's what I'm saying, though, that the next chapter, one of the next major chapters anyway, is going to have to be with the Police Services Board. The community has obviously expressed some concern about how things were handled. It's the Police Service Board and the citizen members and the elected members on Correct. that board. It's their responsibility now to bring this issue forward to the board and say, you know, why? What, what happened and why? Right. Uh, and, because and the, what the will we do differently Because the, the community time. is concerned about this. Right. There are some serious questions being asked uh, and about, about what happened and how it happened and, and who was responding and how they responded. So it's up to the police to respond to that. But the Police Services Board, that's what they're there for is to bring those concerns to the, to the public and, and have the police respond to it in kind. And, and I'm eagerly anticipating that meeting, and it will be a public meeting, of course. Well, if the, the Police Services Board chair last night, a.k.a. Mayor Fred Eisenberger, did his co Our Cops Are Tops little, little moment. So I don't know how this is going to go, Bill. Uh, Fred, Fred can come on your show and write statements about it's you know, time for healing. Well, you need to start showing us why we should trust you 
and to come together and speak openly, honestly, in a safe environment. And we do not have that at the moment. Are we any closer than we were two days ago? No, we're further away based on what happened last night and based on statements. And if Fred Eisenberger comes out and says something meaningful today, which he did not on your show, then maybe we can start to begin to, to heal. What I can tell you, we were told last night, is that Mayor Eisenberger, Narendra Non, and Maureen Wilson, councillors for three and wards three and one, are meeting with the chief uh, next week. Uh, they're going to try to start to be that process. Obviously, it needs to expand, but I think they're doing the right thing. Let's meet and talk, and, and then we'll go from there. Bill, of course I want the healing to take place. I, I don't want this danger and this fighting and this anger to, uh, you know, dominate our community any more than you do. But, but behaviors matter. Attitudes matter. And Sam Marula, for example, just as one example, if you're going to talk, laugh, and not listen in the moment, of, of the most poignant moment in last night's council meeting, then you own that, Sam Marula. You don't care. Obviously, I don't know how else I'm supposed to read your behavior, change your behavior. But first of all, you're going to have to change your attitude. The, I, we got to wrap it up here. The one thing that really concerns me about this whole thing is, well, because there's a series of them, but uh, those that are perpetuating hate and, and are looking to divide us are rubbing their hands with glee right now because they're looking at what happened over the last few days and say, yeah, mission accomplished. This is exactly what they wanted to do. And we can't let that happen. I agree we can't let that happen, but, you know, who, who takes the lead on trying to stop that from happening? And based on what happened last night, clearly it isn't going to be many members of council. Some, yes, but not enough. They need to act in solidarity, and silence is not the way to do that, and that's what more than half of them did last night, silence. Graham Crawford, uh, more to come on this one to be sure. Thanks for coming in today. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the other contentious issues at City Council last, last night was night, a uh, pretty a long meeting. list of them. Obviously, we've dealt with uh, the, the the big one about uh, what has to happen about security, and uh, the other, of course, was what's going to happen in Aberdeen. Aberdeen Avenue, of course, has been rather contentious, and and not just uh, in recent weeks or months. Actually, for some time now, there has been some discussion about slowing traffic down and maybe traffic calming measures, a uh, number of different uh, phrases that you can use here. Uh, but there were some people on council that just were dead set against this. Ryan McGrill from uh, Raise the Hammer joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this morning. Ryan, how are you doing today? Good morning, Bill. I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Listen, i got to ask you this, because I've tried to cover this from as many angles as we could. We've had a couple of the dissenting councillors about this issue. Councillor Whitehead, Councillor Ferguson have been on the program. Uh, we've had Councillor Wilson on. Uh, John Paul Danko weighed in on this a couple of days ago here on the program. And I, I asked all of them, I'm going to ask you the same question, because this seems to have raised the ire of an awful lot of people, but not just in the, in the west end of the city, but across is this going to be very much like, like Charlton and Herkimer when they decided to do those, I call them improvements, uh, to do with the traffic calming, that everybody got upset about this and about three, four weeks later, it just seemed to be forgotten? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what's going to happen. It, it just seems, and I understand, people don't like change, I get that. But we've already experienced very similar changes. Those two examples I just brought up, I think, are probably the best two examples right now. And I'm not suggesting everybody's going to be happy with it, but they just say, okay, that's the new normal. Let's move on. Yeah, you know, if, if, if council as a whole was as outraged about rising fascism in our city as, you know, say, Councillor Whitehead is about traffic calming, I think we'd be in a much better place municipally. 
It, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know if you saw on social media, uh, Councillor Danko actually posted something about, uh, I guess he answered the, the survey that uh, Councillor Whitehead was taking on this. Uh, <laughs> he says he can vote about 1,800 times on this. So, uh, uh, and again, this is an old argument that we've heard, isn't it, about people in, the, in another part of the city are upset that, that their point A to point B travel route could be impacted by this, and, and they're outraged. Sure, and, and the bottom line is, you know, your commute shortcut is somebody else's community. And uh, everybody in the city, no matter where you live, no matter where you choose to, you know, to build your own life, everyone has the right to get home safely at the end of the day. That includes people living downtown, living on the mountain, wherever. You know, we all, I think, at the end of the day, want the same things. You know, we want to be safe. We want to know that our children are safe. Uh, certainly, if there was a proposal to have a four-lane arteria running through a mountain neighborhood, I'd be against that. I'm looking at uh, the comparison when uh, Councillor Wilson was talking to us about this the other day, and, and obviously she was responding to some of Councillor Whitehead's uh, assertions, and uh, and Councillor Ferguson's for that matter too. And uh, and she mentioned Rousseau Street uh, slash Mohawk Road uh, and that leads into Ancaster, of course, uh, from the, uh, the the mountain off the link. It's a it's a two lane road, one lane each way, and has been for as long as I can remember. And I, I don't see anybody, remo- you know, and there's a lot of traffic on that road. Uh, and I, yeah, I don't think I remember anybody ever saying, you know what, we should really expand the size of this road because of the traffic volume. In fact, Councillor uh, Ferguson was quite proud of the traffic calming that was done on Wilson Street. Bike lanes were added, wider sidewalks, central boulevard to slow traffic. And he was right to be proud of it because it improves his neighborhood. All I'm saying is that people in every part of the city deserve the same treatment. Why is there such a pushback then, Ryan, about about doing these sorts of things? And and I understand that some people are trying to make the distinction between uh, residential neighborhoods and what they call uh, access routes. Uh, and and I, I'm not so sure that that distinction even needs to be made. I mean, safety, public safety is public safety, isn't it? Well, and particularly when an access route is running right through somebody's neighborhood. It, it's not a segregated highway. It's not, you know, off on its own. This is running right inches away from the front doors of people's homes. That's uh, maybe for those that have not been following the story. I'm sure there must be at least a handful of those. Uh, maybe you could go over exactly what the city is proposing and what they decided to do last night. Right. So people in the Kirkendall neighborhood have been asking for traffic calming on Aberdeen for decades at this point. I mean, it's it's ridiculous how long this has taken. There was a, uh, quote, lean Aberdeen campaign in the previous term, which... Uh, then Councillor Aidan Johnson brought forward, got a lot of pushback uh, from Whitehead and a couple of other people, and he ended up withdrawing his motion. So now Councillor Wilson is trying to move this forward. Instead of a full redesign of the street, something to make it inclusive, add bike lanes, widen the sidewalks, this is a real compromise position. All it says is, let's add curbside parking all day just to provide a little bit of physical buffer from the cars and the sidewalk. And what that does is it slows traffic down because some of the racing traffic on the street is cars passing other cars. When you have two lanes, you can have somebody going at, say, 55, 60 in the middle lane and somebody passing them at 70 kilometers a few inches from the sidewalk. So, and that's the intent, and that's what they seem to be doing. And as we mentioned, it's been happening in other parts of the city as well. Uh, and I think successfully, and, and I know that some people are quoting some of the statistics that the city has brought forward, the staff brought forward in this, Ryan, and I think they, were, they should be part of this discussion. Uh, in uh, the last 13 years, there have been 18 pedestrian collisions on Aberdeen. That's from Longwood all the way over to Queen Street. 
uh, 13 in injuries. Uh, but many of those, from what I understand from the statistics I was reading last night, occurred at legitimate crosswalks, uh, which tells me that the problem here is not necessarily that people are doing the wrong thing. It's it's that, that's those are drivers. So is speed a factor? Uh, is not paying attention a factor? I'm not sure, but maybe slowing down will help to, to, to alleviate some of those statistics. Well, for sure. And one of the reasons is that it takes time for us to have situational awareness. If you're driving at 60 kilometers an hour down a street, if something happens, you've traveled a long distance before you mentally register what is happening. If you're going at 40 kilometers or 30 kilometers an hour, that you've traveled a much shorter distance. And so your ability to respond is a lot higher. And also, your stopping distance is much shorter. Let's uh, talk about uh, something that I thought should have been part of this discussion. I know Councillor Wilson made it part of the discussion, uh, was Vision Zero, which was something that uh, I want to remind the councillors who had a problem with this, that Vision Zero was unanimously supported by City Council. Exactly. And I think uh, Councillor John Paul Danko, who represents the West Mountain and the top of the escarpment, you know, the Becca Drive access, he said, look, we voted for Vision Zero. Vision Zero is a commitment to eliminate traffic fatalities and serious injuries. If we believe in Vision Zero, then we need to apply that in our decisions. And so he voted in favor of this, even though it might cause his residents to take a couple of more minutes to get to work. Well, and he told us on the program just a day or two ago that he said he, he is getting some pushback on this from some of his residents. And, and I can understand that. I mean, that's, that's natural. People are going to say, hey, wait a second, now you're messing with my life. But he had the political courage to say, I understand that, but this is for the greater good. Uh, not all councillors do that. Not all councillors take that attitude. No, you're right. And, uh, you know, if you look at Councillor Whitehead, his record on this file has been abysmal for many years. And uh, his antics last night were outrageous. I mean, it's a, it's a testament to just how insane that meeting as a whole was that his behavior wasn't the top story. The, uh, they passed this, but with a codicil, and they wanted, <clears throat> excuse me, they wanted to wait until uh, the conversion of Queen Street to go on. How do you feel about that? I think it's just a stalling tactic on Whitehead's part, and it was an attempt to find some kind of compromise on the part of people who support this. It's, it's ridiculous. And it's just, it's a numbers thing. So there's 23,000 cars a day that come down Beckett Street access. That's one lane in each direction. And there's about 20,000 cars a day that drive on Aberdeen. So it's a smaller number. So we could switch that to one lane in each direction tomorrow and have more capacity relative to volume than Beckett Drive has. But on that issue, by the way, uh, and I understand. I mean, I, I obviously get to work very early in the morning, but I mean, I know people that, that do the commute from the West Mountain or from Ancaster, and they actually come down Beckett Drive and the Queen Street Hill, whichever way you want to call it. And I know the traffic gets backed up almost to the top of the hill some mornings. I get that. Uh, and, and a lot of that has to do with uh, the, 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 the light at the bottom. Uh, but it also has to do with Queen Street. And I guess the question I'm asking, maybe you can give me some insight into this. They've been talking about the two-way conversion of Queen Street for years now. Why is this not being done? I mean, why are they holding this up to the extent that they have over the last number of years? Well, I think you touched on it earlier when you said that people are afraid of change. Every two-way conversion we've done in the city has been successful. And every time the next conversion comes up on the docket, the same people freak out and have the same predictions of chaos and failure and doom. We know how two-way streets work. Most of the, street, uh, the city streets are two-way. But when we want to convert a one-way street back to two-way, suddenly it's like we're reinventing the wheel here. 
and it's as you mentioned the same people but i mean did they at this stage i mean when you you look at john street you look at james street and like we can go down the list of streets that have gone through this transformation over the last little while uh and everybody seems to be happy with it so why not do it more i don't i don't understand the argument at this stage i can understand people initially and i was on council when the james and john street conversions were occurring and uh, that that passed by a very narrow margin, I think, if I recall from city council. A lot of people were opposed to that. But we know better now, don't we? Yeah, I mean, that, that was a courageous decision. I mean, they were really sailing into uncharted waters at the time. And I give that council a huge amount of credit for undertaking two big conversions and for doing them quickly. You know, what we've done since then is we'll convert a block of a street here and then wait a couple of years and then do a couple of blocks over there. It's been really sort of this creeping, tiptoeing approach when what we should be making big changes and making them fast and giving people a chance to get used to them. And you know, I, Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, and that brings uh, things like bike lanes into the conversation as well, uh, and we're still getting pushback on that. Uh, that uh, you know, People are saying, well, I never see anybody on there. Why are you billing them? Uh, because people do travel by bike in, in this community. You know, that doesn't mean you have to do it 18 hours of the day, but they do do this. And we had this pushback on Bay Street when they put the bike lanes in. It's it's the new normal. I mean, people get used to it. Okay, so, you know, there's, they've, they've, they've adjusted the, the, the traffic lights there at, at uh, King and, and Bay as a result of this. I, I, you look back on this in hindsight and say, what, what was the big deal here? Sure, it was a big nothing burger. Yeah. You know, when you mentioned earlier that about the 18 pedestrian collisions on Aberdeen. Yeah. In the past decade, there have been almost 500 vehicle collisions. So that's, that's a crazy number. Like that street is almost five times higher a risk of collision than the rate that the city considers an area of concern. So it's not just pedestrians that we're talking about. It's not just cyclists. It's everybody who uses the road. You know, are you willing to get home from work two minutes later but you've reduced your risk of getting into a collision that injures you and transforms your life, I think that's a pretty good trade-off. Well, I would uh, venture a guess to say that a, a majority of those are probably right around Dundurn and, and Aberdeen. Uh, it's always been a problematic intersection, and, and one of the reasons why is because people go too fast through that intersection. That seems to be the problem. Or they get ticked off because they have to wait to make a left turn, and when they finally do, they don't look in the crosswalk to see if anybody's there. Oh, yeah. Dundurn and Aberdeen are bad. Queen and Aberdeen are bad. Uh, I live nearby there. You know, I've seen five-car pileups just on Aberdeen between Queen and Lock. I mean, it's people drive too fast. Having four lanes just gives people too many opportunities to veer in and out and pass each other. It's a street that's it's just begging for bad behavior because it's so designed badly. I want to ask you about speed limits. We had this discussion with the councillors as we went through the uh, the debate about Aberdeen, but I think this has to be done in a broader context, too. And the example a few of them brought up was uh, was Kenilworth Avenue over the other side of town, uh, which for some time now has been the speed limit right at the bottom of the Kenilworth access. It's now reduced on Kenilworth Avenue to 40 as, as opposed to the, I guess, 50 for most of the other streets, the main what they call the main thoroughfares. Uh, and I know that Councilman Merle got a lot of pushback on that, but uh, and again, statistically, he'll tell you, as he did on our program, uh, that the number of collisions are down, the number of pedestrian incidents are down as a result of this. I mean, when people slow down, it's a safer environment. Yeah, it's safer for everybody. You know, this isn't a drivers versus pedestrians thing. The street is safer for every person using it. And that, that seems like a no-brainer to me. I don't quite understand why there's so much pushback. Well, and we, I know that they, in half measures, they say they, because the counselors that seem to have a problem with this say, well, we do that already around school zones, and that's a good thing, and they put the flashing lights in, and that's a good thing. 
But yet, as soon as you get past that school zone, bingo, the people accelerate again. Uh, I, I guess the question I'd like to ask is why is council not looking at a, a, at a broader-based idea of simply lowering the speed limit on all streets? I know they will do it on residential streets, but why not on the other streets as well? Right. There's a motion right now to make the uh, default unsigned speed limit in Hamilton 40 kilometers an hour. I see that as a step in the right direction, but part of the problem is that it still doesn't respect the physics of the situation. So what we know and what the Vision Zero principle asserts is that if you want to eliminate traffic fatalities, you have to get the speed limit down to a level that even when there is a collision, it's not fatal. So we should really be looking at a citywide 30 kilometer an hour speed limit. If we're serious about eliminating fatalities and not just reducing them slightly, that's what the laws of physics tell us we have to do. Well, there, there's part of the problem. I mean, let's just say, you know, we talked about earlier, uh, council unanimously supported Vision Zero. Uh, but if you don't take measures to try to get to that goal, I mean, what good is, is, is supporting a motion like that? Exactly. It goes on to the dust heap of vision statements and master plans that we've approved over the years and never implemented. I, I mean, it's a feel-good exercise if you say, yeah, we want to try to eliminate that. We want to make sure people don't get hurt. I, and I, I know I, I've had Klaus Wagner from Hamilton Police uh, Service on the show many times talking about these. And Klaus has got these statistics right off the top of his head. But to your point, uh, I think it's where every kilometer per hour that you reduce the speed limit, there's a, a magnificent number of, of reductions in, in the potential for accidents and severe injuries as a result of these things. I mean, they may still be fender benders, but the damage is far less, uh, and the human toll, of course, is far less, too. It, it, there, there is a real correlation there, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. It's not just a linear relationship. It's actually a geometric curve. So at 32 kilometers an hour, there's about a 5% chance of, of, of getting killed in a pedestrian collision. At 48 kilometers an hour, that jumps to 50%. And at 64 kilometers an hour, it's 85%. So it's a massive difference. So those are, those are the numbers that, that need to be part of this debate and this discussion. Absolutely. And that's you know, again, this is not new stuff. I mean, that study was first done in England in the 1990s. We know this stuff, and the city has adopted Vision Zero. If you actually read the Vision Zero approach, it's made very clear about this. We need to redesign our streets, not just to reduce the legal speed limit, which is important, but to make it physically impossible to drive at a dangerous speed. Yeah, well, that's going to take the industry getting involved, too, and boy, that's going to be a problem. Sure. Well, at this point, it's still stuck behind the recalcitrant councillors who don't believe in it. Well, yeah, that's the first step, isn't it, to get the elected officials on side? And and it's imagine it's amazing what you can do to push for change if you have unanimity in, in that regard. And it was really exciting to see Councillor Danko last night recognize that he might take some pushback from his residents, but making the right choice because it's the right thing to do. That kind of principle. I think he'll be rewarded when it comes to the time for the next election. Well, you'd like to think so. Doing the right thing is, is actually the right thing for the voters as well. And I, I tend to think so, too. I mean, uh, a lot of times, and I don't want to use a broad-based statement, but a lot of the time the opposition you hear are the people that are just opposed. You, rarely, as a city councilor, and I can tell you from my experience, rarely did you get somebody call and say, hey, I think you guys did a great job, or hey, you did the right thing on that. They just, If they don't like it, they'll certainly call. But if the other, they just said, yeah, that was the right thing to do. Let's move on. Sure. And so when you only hear negative feedback, you start becoming highly sensitized to it. And that's an unfortunate side effect of human nature. We get really animated and complain about things we don't like, but we're less likely to make the effort to say, hey, I'm really proud of you. You did the good thing there. 
Well, they did the right thing last night, and a good thing, too. I just wish they, as you say, didn't have to use the delay tactics here that uh, I guess are going to pacify at least some of the people that are opposed to it. Uh, Ryan, as always, thanks so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Take care. Ryan McGreal, of course, from Raise the Hammer. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.